0: I grew up with three sisters, and it always seemed like they knew exactly what they wanted to do, what they wanted to say and where to go, and if I may, they also seemed to know a lot about where I should go, what I should say and what I should do. We were all a bundle of after-school activities and academic studies, all in and out of each other's lives in ways that felt entirely normal and annoying and supportive. Out of the three of them, it was my big sister who called me first one day in February 2009. I was 25. I was lying on the, on the hard floor of my apartment in the French Alps. She'd heard my news. I'd fallen badly. At speed, on my snowboard the day before. I'd already seen the bouncy-haired French doctor in the ski resort. And in his own words, you have crushed your eighth vertebrae. Your season is over. You will have to go home. My big sister sounded worried on the phone. Uh, And when I said, it's grand, I'm all right. I'll just have to go home, and I'll let it heal. She audibly relaxed. I was scared, Terence, she said. Dad used his serious voice when he called. Our dad's serious voice isn't used often. It always had kindness and love behind it. But if there was an important occasion, some news, or an exam result on the line, there was nothing more effective to make us all reconsider our life choices. (laughs) Uh, That winter, in the Alps, I was having a fun and a busy life, but it turned bad on the scratchy metal edge of my board as it dug deep into the pack. I'd bounced about 50 feet down a hard packed slope. My left shoulder hit the ground first, the rest of my body uncoiled to propel me into a full flip, feet overhead over feet, my back eventually hitting the hard snow and crunching my bones together. It's truly a wonder to me how many thoughts went through my head in in those brief airborne moments. I thought about the life I would left in London, about my family, my computer science degree that I wasn't using, the teaching degree that I would applied for, and the nagging feeling that I didn't know how to get a real job. And I had a very fleeting, uncomfortable thought that if I was about to injure myself then maybe my life would be simpler for a while. But reality quickly pushed those thoughts away and I was left trying to catch my breath with an overwhelming tightness throughout my whole chest. A week later, I made it back to Derry Airport in the tiniest repatriation plane, and it buzzed its way over the Alps like that little plane that could. I recovered, I found a new sort of humility with speed, but I never forgot the feeling of things being outside my control, and how, some, how something serious can be just around the corner. I often feel like an observer to these collection of thoughts in my own head. I'm not fully in control of which memory bubbles up when the bad memories sneak up on you, they pounce at the most inappropriate times. And of course, we're often not in control of new memories. In January 2013, almost four years after my fall, I formed the worst memory that I own. This time, our dad called me, and he was using his serious voice. He said, Terrence, are you at home? I said, yes. He said it was about one of my wee sisters, then 25. She's been in a serious accident. My stomach was stubbornly rising into my throat, and I remember my attempts at denial. I think a small laugh escaped me. I bet it's the car, I thought. We all knew she was a terrible driver. I bet it's the car. Uh, It's bound to be it. How silly to be making such a fuss about something so small. A wee crash. Did she drive into a ditch? Maybe she even broke something. Ah the aged. But I knew already. My body knew already that that wasn't it. Dad's careful, serious and experienced voice told me that she'd died. She'd been caught in an avalanche falling off a mountain in the Scottish Highlands. And again, I'm thinking about what can change in a moment. That moment sticks, and it will never leave me. It's the moments that take something good and make it bad that stick the worst and last the longest. The awful moment when my sister's overwhelming goodness and life ended had become a memory that we were all left with. There's a temptation to bury the memory of that and the effect that it's had on me, but I find that this is quite impossible. And actually not talking about it doesn't do justice to the hilarious, brutally honest and the annoying person that is my sister. Sometimes it's actually quite easy to talk about her. People and places and things remind me of her all the time. But it can be quite difficult. In my experience, there is no good time to tell your new workmates about your dead sister. It's true. Which makes me think of a more recent moment in the rocky path of dealing with all this. Another clear bad memory. This was in 2018 when I was working in Edinburgh for a large festival. We were a small team working hard to bring new and interesting ideas into the world. One Friday afternoon, I ran our first ever youth consultation group meeting. We had 15 12 to 18 year olds come to our office to start a co-creation project. This was the end of a really busy week and after clearing up behind the group, some of our staff went to the pub for a drink. As we walked there, the traffic on the road was at a standstill behind a police barrier. Most people walked on but a bad feeling was lodging itself in my throat. So I stopped and asked one of the few bystanders who said that someone had been hit by a bus and they'd been taken to hospital. There wasn't any more information to be had, so I went to the pub, sat behind a pint and tried to pretend that I wasn't feeling totally uncomfortable, my knees shaking, trying to convince myself that I was crazy to think that one of our youth team had been the one hit. You see, when you have a bad memory where you've walked the path where the worst thing happens, those mental footsteps become a trodden path and it's easy to see the potential for bad things happening. It's a rubbish power to wield, to be honest, mostly because it's so trigger-happy that there are far more false positives than anything useful. But I couldn't shake that feeling. And as it turns out, this time I was right. I found myself on the phone with my group member's mother in a cold sweat, finding out that she was hit by that bus on the way out of our meeting. She suffered a few missing teeth and now a missing spleen, but she recovered and she continued to come to our meetings. My cold sweat on that phone wasn't just worry though, it was the ripples of my other bad memories coming back to mess with me. I hadn't told most of my colleagues about my sister's accident, so I couldn't really explain to them why I wasn't feeling totally on top of being the one responsible to call a mother about the state of her daughter's health after a serious accident. That cold sweat contained elements of grief and fear, fear that I would open up some wounds that I was having a hard time keeping closed. Eventually, and slowly, I've realized that talking about my feelings is, surprise, a good idea, and even quite helpful. Now, I try and tell people, even colleagues, about the intriguing and stubborn person that is my sister. I figured out that I can tell the truth when someone asks, do you have any siblings? And I can talk about it because everybody understands, at least a little, what it's like when bad things happen. I can sometimes still hear her insistent voice telling me with relentless optimism, what I should do next thank you so much Terence it is genuinely very humbling I'm sure most of you feel the same to be given that sort of insight into a stranger's life so thank you Terence